Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Revelation. We are running a series on Thursday nights on remembering, and uh, maybe hard for you to remember. It's been two weeks since we were in this series. I was in Oklahoma last uh, Thursday night, uh, but uh, we started out with the book of, of uh Second Peter, where Peter says that he wants to put us in the rem- into uh, these things into our remembrance, and then uh, we dealt with things that God remembered, and, and Noah and the ark, and different things that God remembers, and then uh, uh, two weeks ago was institutions or ordinances that God has given us, and we talked about the Passover and things that God has given us to remember. And tonight, what I would like for us to do is to, uh, twice in the letters to the churches, there were seven letters to seven literal churches. Uh, some people tried to make them church ages. And uh, one of the reasons I don't uh, especially uh, like doing that is because every commentator has a different set of dates for the church ages. If it were that true and that outlined in the Word of God, it would be uh, more simple for us to recognize that. And uh, I certainly believe that there are uh, all of these churches represented in our day and our time, as has been since these seven literal churches existed. And to two of the churches, Jesus told them that he wanted them to remember some things, that the remedy for the issues, the problems in that church, was to remember. And so, as the letters of the, to the churches end, it says that we're to listen to what the Spirit saith to the churches. So, there, there's something for our church here. And we're going to look at two churches that we're told to remember, and one church that actually forgot to remember. And so let's start in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except Thou repent. Now, let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 2 and put this verse in the context. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Now that's quite a, um, uh, a, a list of good attributes uh, for this church. If they were uh, filling out a resume, we would say, wow, uh, that's what I want my... Uh, that's what I want our church to sound like, to be uh, noticed of Jesus Christ for having works and labor and patience and uh, 
uh, removing things that are evil and making sure that our doctrine is true and continuing to serve the Lord and not quitting. But we get to verse 4, and it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, we need to understand something. In our day and time, when you hear that term, first love, you normally think about your first marriage or your first relationship that may not or probably was not within biblical boundaries. And, uh, and that's not what this is talking about. The church has only one love. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we don't trade him for something else. If a church does that, they no longer have the right to call themselves a church. In fact, Jesus told this church that because they had left their first love, because they had fallen from where they started, that if they didn't remember where they came from, that he was going to remove their candlestick. Now, when Jesus removes the candlestick, the building doesn't collapse and the sign fall off the door. Uh, He doesn't send angels down to write Ichabod across the front so that uh, uh, people will know not to enter there because there's a responsibility to every person who attends church to understand what the first love is. Now, you have, to, you have to remember before we get too far into this, this church was doing everything right. Amen? Are we there? Uh, they were doing everything right. But in spite of everything that they were doing, they had left... Thy first love. Now, what we need to do is we need to see what the Bible says. And one of the definitive chapters in the Bible about love is not 1 Corinthians 13 where everybody likes to go, but it's actually 1 John chapter 4. And I'd like you to turn there with me. 1 John chapter 4. And uh, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter here, and then, but then we would spend our whole time on, on this chapter. But um, verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because the God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, this is one of the roots of all false religion. It is about what you can do. True religion, the Bible, is about what God has already done. That's one of the reasons those words are up here behind me on the wall. It is finished. I, I want everyone that comes to this church and sits 
in this auditorium to remember it is not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about who you are. It's about who Jesus is. You see, that's the first love. We, we come down here. Verse 10, we just read, Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Look at verse 19, if you would. We love Him because He first loved us. And I want you to look at verse 18 as well. It says, There is no fear in love. If you've ever been uh, assaulted by the appeal of the Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the things that they like to bring out is that um, God is love. Therefore, there could be no place like hell because if God is truly love, He couldn't make a place called hell. Well, I've got a question for you. What is God supposed to do with those that fully reject and do not allow the finished work of Christ to touch their lives? Is He supposed to just let them into heaven anyway? Oh, that's, that's what some people would say. But let me ask you a question. When has permissiveness ever accomplished anything? You see, our first love is the motivation for our service. And the Jehovah's Witnesses try to say, well, listen, I mean, a lot of people... Uh, join these churches because they're afraid of hell and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And hey, I'd be the first one to tell you. You're not. If the only reason you come to this church is because you're afraid of hell, you don't have salvation. But sometimes that fear will bring you to the love of God. Read the book of Jude. We don't have time to go there tonight. It says of some saving with fear. And the truth of the matter is here, we don't have to be afraid of God. He has already given us, read Romans chapter 8, He has given Jesus Christ, His Son, to be the sacrifice for our sins. What more could God give? I want to challenge, He's already given all that He can give. And the only comfort that, that I have to, to be able to give to someone who, who has a loved one who has died without letting them know whether they are actually saved or not, the only, the only comfort we can have is simply this, that God in His love and in His greatness has done everything possible that every soul that has ever lived could be saved. But if you really care about your family, if you care about those that you love, you need to, while you're living, let them know that your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. Say, oh, I'll be afraid to tell my family. Well, wait a minute. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. You see, even if we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, that was the church at Ephesus. And he's telling the church at Ephesus, I want you to remember 
from when you, whence you are fallen. See, sometimes even uh, a church our age, we just celebrated 25 years. You know, we, we have some habits around here. We have some things that we do. I mean, we, we sing the, we've been singing the same song when we dismissed the service for 25 years. And you know what? I don't want to change that. I kind of like ending with that song. Because when I leave church, I want to take the name of Jesus with me. Amen? But you know, we can just sing that song like, Take the name of Jesus with me. When is this going to be over so I can leave? That's leaving your first love, isn't it? It's forgetting where we came from. Who we are. You see, I don't serve God because of fear. And I shouldn't be afraid to trust God completely. You know, sometimes things change. Not our doctrine, not our Bible, not our name, not our music. But we have to be careful that we don't just get into the habit of church. That's why when we celebrate as a church uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, we do that on a very irregular schedule. We normally give a week or two weeks notice in the bulletin. We try to have that at least uh, three or four times a year so that we can remember what Jesus has done for us. But we don't want to ever have it become ordinary. We don't want it to become just something that we do. Because, look at verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We, we live in a world where the gospel and believing in the Bible becomes more and more marginal, removed uh, if, if from the mainstream, you might say. If you go back in the, even in the history of this country, uh, just 50 years, you would go uh, with the possible, with the exception of the Northeast, if you went into any city in this United States, any major city, you'd find the largest church was an independent Baptist church. Fifty years ago, that was basically true. And that church was a fundamental Bible-believing church. And one that preached the Word of God. It's not that way today. Most of the time, the largest church in town is the one that has the best rock concert. Uh, I knew a history of a church. It used to be a fundamental Baptist church, and they bought into this purpose-driven stuff and hired them a rock band, and they lost 500 people one week because the church across town got a better band than they had. And they just said, so long, Pastor. It's, it's, it's better music over here. We'll see you later. And... Uh, I can't even comprehend that kind of thought process. I love music. 
That's why we sing the hymns. That's why we sing lots of them. But why do we come to church? Because of Jesus. Amen? Because he only gave us one book. That's called the Bible. And we need to spend time studying the Bible instead of arguing about which parts belong in here and which parts don't. Uh, so, I mean, all these books and things, the commentaries they get here. And let me just read you Second Corinthians 5.14. I got it in my notes here. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Back to First John, if you have your Bible still open there, look at verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Now, please don't raise your hands, but how many of you have woke up on a Sunday morning and said, Oh, man, i got to go to church. You see, that's, that's part of the commandments. And if we're not careful, we'll do what we're supposed to do to serve the Lord more out of duty than out of love. You know what? That happens in marriages sometimes. People get so used to each other that they take each other for granted and they just go on about their lives and invest in all of these other things. That's one of the reasons we have so many marriages breaking up 25 and 30 years into the marriage is because they have their lives all invested in other things and then the kids are gone and they're by themselves and they sit there. What do we have in common? Nothing. Well, I'll tell you what. You've got to keep, you've got to work on keeping what brought you together originally as a husband and wife every day then it's marriage is what it ought to be. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to have a victory over the world. See, some people that believe this church age thing, they love to go to the Laodicean church, and that's an excuse for not doing the things that we're supposed to do. It's just the Laodicean age. It's... That's where we're supposed to be. You know what? I can't find anywhere in the Bible that God wants His people to be lukewarm. In fact, He says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's not something God wants. It's not something He has commanded. Uh, We don't believe in a God that commands us to sin. I want you to... So, let's just kind of review here. First, love is not your building, your missionaries you support, the, uh, the church growth, the keeping uh, your doctrine straight. All of those things you must do. If, if we weren't doing this work that we're doing this summer, I'll tell you what, we would suffer some very, very serious consequences in the years to come. But hopefully... We'll be set, at least uh, the waterproofing, for the next five to seven, maybe even ten years. 
Uh, you pray with me about that because in ten more years I think I'll be old enough that I can not be up on the scaffolding working. Amen. Uh, we'll let that to the younger generation. But we'll see how, how that all... Those are things that we need to do, but that cannot be our first love. I knew a church janitor. One of the reasons why we have part-time janitors that uh, we don't need a full-time. It's not that big of a building. But I knew church janitors. In fact, I was one when I was a teenager uh, back in Maryland where I grew up. And, and uh, if you're not careful, the janitor gets to think that he owns the building. I remember this one janitor. He was a lovely man, a great friend. But, boy, I'll tell you what. You, you met him on uh, uh, certain mornings, and, and, and they had a program, and, and it was called Awana, where the kids would get together. He said, let me tell you about Awana. He said, I want to make a mess. And he said, now I have to clean it up. And, oh, I mean, he just had such a terrible attitude. And, and uh, that's not your first love. You see, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. See, love is one of those things that kind of is erythral and floats around. People think they fall in love and fall out of love. You can't do that because God is love. You can't fall into God and fall out of God. But you can forget, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. And let's just start reading in verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Then two of the best-known verses in the Bible, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sometimes it's easy to forget how great God's love that saved us actually is. That's what happened to the Ephesian church. They forgot that it was all about Jesus and not about them. They were doing all of the right things. And so tonight I want to challenge you. Take a few minutes and remember how you got saved. Remember the struggle that you had to get over the flesh. Remember how patient God was with you 
Very few people get saved the first time they hear the gospel or the first time the truth is presented. Most of us had to have that presented to us over and over again. You see, if we'll remember whence we are fallen, we'll be able to walk with the Savior as we should. You see, it is His love to us that keeps us going. We love Him because He first loved us. That's the message to the Ephesian church. Now, let's look at chapter 3 to the Sardis church here. And uh, Revelation chapter 3. And it says, Unto the church, unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know by works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Oh boy, this is not a good thing. But watch... Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now this was a church... They had lost everything. Now, I, I praise God that you cannot lose your salvation. Once God saves you, He saves you forever. That's what the word eternal means. Amen? But, you didn't lose everything else. And that's what the church at Sardis had done. You know, Brother Mike and I were talking about Union Baptist and its history and really... Uh, Union Baptist Church is a textbook on everything a church ought not to do. Uh, everything a church should do to destroy itself, Union has done. And, and praise God, at this 11th hour, just before the building was closed, and all, in fact, the building was closed by the city of New York for lack of maintenance, we came in, and now... It's operating as a church again. I'll tell you what. They did what Jesus was talking about the church at Sardis. And here's the remedy. It says, remember how... Whoops. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Now, that's interesting. It says that they were supposed to remember how they received and heard. You know, one thing we know about each one of these seven churches in, that's in the book of Revelation, of course, the church at Ephesus 
We know it's history. It's recorded in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul went there. He spent three years in Ephesus uh, working uh, to see that church established. He spent more time there than any other church. In fact, the the closest that we have record of is the church in Corinth. He was there about 18 months. He was twice that long in Ephesus. Why? Because it was a wicked, wicked city. It was wholly given to idolatry and witchcraft and all of the things that we know that are still present in our world today. But how had they received? A preacher went there with the gospel and heard. You see, the primary thing that a church needs to be concerned with is the ministry of the Word of God. Read Acts chapter 6. The, the disciples got busy and, and entangled with a lot of things and they came by and they had deacons uh, started that job and Deacons, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to come alongside and take the pressure off the pastor so that he can spend the time doing the things of the ministry. The preaching of the Word is a priority. And you know, people preach all kinds of things today. You know, if you want people, Brother Clayton put it this way one time. He said, listen, if you want to fill the building up, all you got to do is stand at the door. And as everybody comes in, shake their hand and say, you're right. And if you'll do that, everybody will come. In fact, there are churches that even advertise today. We have no doctrine. You know why? Because that's what they're trying to do. But Jesus told the church here, To remember how thou hast received and heard. You see, we need to go back. That's one of the reasons why we challenge you with your Bible reading schedules. And someone says, well, I want to read my own schedule. Well, that is fine. But if... If you're like most of us, we need a little something to help us discipline our reading and keep us going. And, and I'll tell you, this is not a, one of those five-minute-a-day Bible reading schedules. You have to invest a little bit of time if you're going to keep that up. But you'll read the New Testament twice in a year. You'll read the book of Psalms twice. You'll read the Old Testament once and the book of Proverbs 12 times. Uh, you say, Wow! That would really make me spiritual. No, that, that's a good start. Uh, I always, people say, well, the Bible's such a hard book to understand. Yeah, the first 25 times through are the hardest. Uh, one, once you do that, then you get, get, it gets a little easier after that. And you say, well, that would take me 25 years. Well, Maybe you could read a little more than just the daily Bible reading schedule. Amen? Uh, It wouldn't hurt. You see, if you're going to remember how you've received and how you heard, you're going to have to get into the Word. That was the problem with the church at Sardis. That's why they were dead. They had the right name on the door. They had the right kind of history. They at one time were a church where the Bible was preached and things were going right, but 
They had left those things. And Jesus said, I want you to remember how thou hast heard, how thou hast received and heard. You know, the church at Sardis was one of those churches that we do not have a biblical record of how it started. But it was in modern-day Turkey, same country that Ephesus was in. In fact, all seven churches uh, were uh, in modern-day Turkey. The Bible calls it Asia in in the Bible. And uh, who was primarily the evangelist of that country? Why was the Apostle Paul? He was born in Colicchia, which is southern uh, and, uh, and eastern, uh, very close to the Syrian border. And he was raised down in, in Jerusalem. And, but then he got saved. And he went back that way with the gospel and started churches. So how did the church in Sardis get started? Well, maybe somebody from Ephesus came over and started that church. Just like our family moved here 26 years ago to start this church. And and we're praying that people will continue going out of this church and starting new churches because that's what it is. And he says, I want you to remember how thou hast received and heard. And then he's got two more commands. Hold fast and repent. You know, I, I, I was finishing my preparation and, and putting things together here. And I said, man, I've got this great outline in my head. And, and then I looked over my notes. And actually, the outline that was in my head was Sunday morning sermon that I'd already preached. And I said, well, wait a minute, we've got to change things here. But, you see, there's no new truth. The command in Proverbs is buy the truth and sell it not. You know what? I'm not going to change my Bible for a new Bible. I'm not going to change our doctrine for a new doctrine. We're not going to lower the standards just because it's hard. I challenge you, it's just as hard to live for God in Ephesus in the days of the Apostle Paul as it is to live for God today in New York City. Oh, we have a different set of obstacles, yes. But we're not going to go into a comparison there. We just have to understand that people are people. And people do the same things. And by the way, the devil is not very inventive. He hasn't needed to invent any new sins because the old ones work pretty well now, don't they? But here's what we got to do. we got to go back to where it started. Right here. And we got to hold fast to the Bible, to the church, to the truths that are in God's Word. And when we don't line up with the Bible, it's we who need to repent. And that's what he's telling the church. Listen, sometimes... You just got to go back to the roots. I tell you, it was a pleasure going through some of the old minutes in the history of the Union Baptist Church all the way back to 1847 and finding out that 
that church, if we could go back in a time machine to 1847, we would enjoy being members of the Union Baptist Church when it was started. Because they preached the Bible the same way we do. In fact, one of the preachers actually uh, made the newspaper. They wrote an article about him because he resigned the pastorate of the church. And when they asked him the reason for his resignation, he said, people won't come to prayer meeting. If they won't come to prayer meeting, I'm not going to be the pastor of this church. And uh, I guess people started coming to prayer meeting. I'm not sure. Uh, But that that would be an argument in the church was a pretty sad thing. That's why you need to repent and get back to the old things. We don't need newfangled nothing. What we need is to stick to the book. Amen? And you're not going to do it without remembering. And by the way, can you remember something you never had? Well, if you go to a psychiatrist and pay him 300 bucks an hour, you'll find out you can remember all kinds of things that never happened to you. Uh, But aside from that, if you're going to remember something, you've got to have it up here first to remember it. Amen? And that's the problem with the church of Sardis is we've got to go back and we and we need to take this challenge. And we got four minutes to finish the last church here. Let's go to Revelation chapter three and verse fourteen. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. You know what the problem with the church of Laodicea was? Everything was fine. I don't know if you know much about explosives, but if you take two charges of dynamite and set them right opposite each other on a train rail, you know what will happen? Absolutely nothing. They will cancel each other out. Unless you're hovering over top when it goes off, then it'll get you. But if you want to cut the rails, you put one charge here, on this side of the rail and one charge here on this side of the rail. And it will cut the rail just like that. Read that in a history of World War II. Some of our people that were trained, they were explaining how, how that happened and how they needed to do that. And, and they were lukewarm. They had just enough sin to cancel out any good and just enough good to cancel out any sin. 
They were stagnant. They weren't moving. They weren't nothing. Jesus said, I wish you were one of the other. And that's why I call this the church that could not remember. You see, they couldn't remember how they started. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know, you can forget how you were and how desperately you needed Jesus to save you. That's what happened to the church in Laodicea. You know what? God only saves sinners. And if you're not a sinner, God's not going to save you. I've, I've actually met some people who say, I've never done anything wrong. He said, you just told another lie. You want to add that to the tally? And, uh, and, and they'll look at me kind of funny. And, and yet Jesus told the church here, he said, you think you have what you need. And you've got to understand that I am the only thing that you need. He said, buy me gold. Now, you follow through your Bible. Gold is, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we're to build upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones. Jesus was telling the church here, you've got to get the kind of works that are going to last. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you can accomplish anything good without Jesus, it's not good. That was the problem with the church at Laodicea. He said, I want you to buy raiment to cover up the shame of thy nakedness. You read Revelation and it tells us here that... um, And to her, talking about the church, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for fine linen. The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. How do you get righteousness? You've got to get it from God. It's the only way you get it. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Amen? And talks about anointing your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 9, He said, Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. There is no one so blind as one who thinks they can see. And oftentimes when we're passing out tracks on the street, What's the number one answer anymore? Oh, I'm fine. I don't need that. No one is blind as someone who thinks they understand everything. How are we going to get that ISAP? By humbling ourselves. By understanding that if we want to see something, we can only see it through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And that's through His written Word. 
Jesus says here in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, oftentimes, that's either taken as a little thing all by itself and disconnected to the local church, or it's applied only to the church at Laodicea. Really, it's a capstone to the entire seven letters. Because Jesus is standing there with each church and each set of problems, and He is pleading with them. Not the beggarly kind of pleading, will you please help me? That's not the God of the Bible. But he's saying, if you want to do what's right, you've got to listen to me. If you want to have fellowship with me, you've got to let me in. So many people worship Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of their own making or of their religious tradition. Jesus said, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to enjoy I'll tell you, there's few things in this life that afford more pleasure than to sit down to a nice meal with friends and family that love each other. Few things are more frustrating or more agitating than sitting down to a nice meal with friends and family that hate you or that there's animosity, that there's things going back and forth. And and, uh, that's one of the reasons why we try to have our family fun nights as a church, just to allow our church family to come in and eat together and fellowship together and, and, and have fun. Why? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. He, that's some of the blessings that He gives us. And we're going to enjoy that for eternity if we remember. You know what? None of us are perfect. Our church isn't perfect. That's not the claim. But I'll tell you what the solution is. Remember. Remember how you got saved. Remember that we love Him because He first loved us. Remember that the only way we can accomplish anything that is in service for the Lord is through His power and through His ability. The only way we can see and understand what is going on in our world is through His knowledge and through His Word. It's all about Jesus. By the way, it's His church, isn't it? In fact, it's His body. And we get to be a part of it. And if we'll remember those things, we will not have to be rebuked by the Lord. But we can enjoy His blessings both here in this life and in eternity to come. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that You would help